go ahead and get started then. So um, let's uh, let's open with prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, we just uh, thank you for this uh, wonderful opportunity we have to come together to worship you, to to learn about uh, you, um, the work that you have accomplished in saving your people. Uh, Lord, it is a privilege, and it's just so easy for us to uh, just consider it a, a given. But, but God, um, it truly is a, a wonderful thing that you give us this opportunity uh, every week. Um, Lord, I pray that you would be with us as we uh, just continue to, to look at the, the great doctrine of the atonement, uh, that we would understand it uh, just a little bit better, that it would uh, sink deeper into our hearts, that our, our love for you would grow, uh, that our obedience to you would grow, and uh, Lord, that we would be bold to proclaim uh, your great salvation to those who do not know you. And Lord, just that your name would continue to spread, be glorified. In Christ's name, amen. All right. Well, this will be really useful because we've got some people who haven't been here for uh, most of the, of the lesson, but we're going to we're going to do our review again. So um, I'm just going to tell you what topics we've covered, and hopefully you guys can give me just like a, a sentence or two summary of what, what that was. So our first lesson was the centrality and necessity of the crucifixion. What were those things? The atonement is uh, the center of God's work that mm-hmm. that He's doing, and and it was the only way. The cross was, you know, the only way for us to mm-hmm. have a relationship with God. Yep, that is a very good answer. Um, second, uh, we talked about reconciliation. What's that all about? About how God, uh, through the atonement, essentially makes well. Through the through the account of God makes us uh, essentially he, he forgives our debts. You know, okay. Uh, makes us perfect. Okay. And makes us right with Him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. the The idea there with reconciliation is basically going from a state of estrangement and hostility to a state of reconciliation, a state of peace. So our that relationship is repaired. Um, then we had substitution. What is the idea of substitution? The Christ bore the punishment due us mm-hmm. Yeah, he substituted for us. He took our place. What he did was for us. So yes, he bore the punishment for us. Um, and then we had propitiation. A big, big word there that we don't usually use in everyday speech. What is the idea behind propitiation? God is satisfied. That's exactly right. Yes, it's the idea of turning away the wrath of God. So this is that one's a very God-focused, God-directed uh, concept. Is is that the God is wrathful towards us because of our sin, and His wrath is turned away by what Christ accomplished. Um, and then we looked at redemption and ransom. What are those ideas? Purchased us back. Mm-hmm. Purchased us back. Yep. That's the that's the idea. He he redeemed us. He he ransomed us. He purchased us back. 
Um, and then uh, we had triumph over Satan. Yeah, exactly. So he is very much defeating our enemies. Um, he is destroying the works of the devil. That is a, a big part of what he accomplished there. Um, we talked about um, Old Testament types uh, for one week, and then we spent two weeks on Old Testament prophecies. Um, so what are those? What, what's, the, what's the difference between a type and a prophecy? And just in general, what are they? The prophecy was a foretelling of the mm-hmm. future events. The type was a, uh, well, well, like Passover, mm-hmm. one of the types. Right. It was something that um, also looked forward to. It was something that was just it was celebrated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As a, so it's some, like a picture. Yeah, Who something is? that happened that was a picture of what was happening. Whereas the prophecies were the direct, this is what's going to happen. Uh, there we were more like in Isaiah 53, Psalm 22, right? So obviously, um, this was all planned from the beginning, and God showed it throughout the Old Testament. Um, and then last week, we talked about the perfection and scope of the atonement. What is that? The atonement was uh, <coughs> the atonement was perfect to do all that it was uh, designed to do. It was, mm-hmm. it was an afterthought. Right. It's completely satisfied the wrath of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it actually accomplished our salvation. Um, which, when you bring the scope part of it in, that's that's how it ties together. It actually accomplishes salvation for everyone for whom it's made. Therefore, it can't be all of humanity for whom the atonement is made because if that was the case everyone would be saved so it's not a a partial atonement that makes everyone savable if they do the right thing but he actually accomplished salvation and it was for those the, I mean, the, the biblical phrase is for the elect um, but it's for everyone who will be saved uh, Christ um, perfectly accomplished their salvation so, this morning, we've, uh, we've largely been dealing with the atonement from like a, an overarching theological perspective. And this morning, I want to consider uh, the question of Jesus' own view of why he came to earth. Um, sometimes people present Jesus as if he came to teach and to heal, um, but that his violent death was strictly the work of outside forces. Uh, which interfered with the earthly mission of Jesus. Um, But if we look at what Jesus himself said, uh, we see that that is not the case. Uh, We see that he both knew it would happen and intended it to happen. Um, And we could probably see that just from a lot of the other discussion we've had over the the previous weeks. But we're going to dive into that specifically of, of what Jesus said about his own purpose when he came to earth. So we will largely be in the Gospels because that is um, that is where we have the, the earthly ministry of Jesus. So the first thing we're going to look at is Matthew 16. Um, Matthew 16, verses 21 through 23. There it says, uh, From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. 
And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned to Peter, he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, you are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Now just for context, um, can anybody tell me what's going on um, like just immediately before this? It's a, it's a very well-known passage. The Pharisees and the Sadducees are saying, well, if you're really you know, uh, the son of David, if you're really the Messiah, uh, do these signs for us. Uh, show us this. Do us that. Okay. Um, I'm thinking like the immediate, like what... The, the, he's having this conversation with the disciples. Okay. Uh, Peter had just said that you're the Christ. Right, yeah. So that's that discussion where Jesus is like, you know, who do men say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Peter, you know, by the, by the Spirit, proclaims that he is the Messiah, the Son of God. And, um, you know, it's clear, okay, so the disciples have this understanding. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. Um, and so Jesus begins to tell them something that he hasn't spoken of in a, in a clear and direct way before. Um, so how does Jesus characterize his future here in this passage? It's, uh, has to happen. Mm-hmm. He has to die. Yeah, he has to die. That's... Um, not really what most Jewish people would like be looking for as far as like their Christ coming, right? They've got these prophecies of the Christ and they're expecting him to to come and uh, <coughs> destroy their enemies and, you know, give them this wonderful kingdom, which I mean, that was what he came to do, but they're viewing it from a very earthly perspective, right? And Jesus says, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna be um I'm going to be uh, arrested and I'm going to be killed. Um, I'm going to suffer many things. Um, he also has his resurrection in there, um, which, you know, should... I don't know. It, it is interesting to, like, try to get into the mind of the disciples and, like, I don't know if, if that was just something that was just missed in the in the rest of it, but what's, what's Peter's response when he hears this? No way, Lord. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he's like, well, this, this can't happen. Um, I mean, obviously, it's just, it just doesn't match with his notion of what would happen with the Christ. Um, but how does how does Christ respond to Peter's rebuke of him? <laughs> Get behind the Satan. Yeah. Yeah. Attributes his response to the work of Satan as mm-hmm. opposed to yeah. as well. Yeah. And what else does he say there? You're not thinking uh, the way that God has thought about this. Mm-hmm. You're thinking about it in the way of uh, in the way of what's beneficial to you. Think. Mm-hmm. Right. So, what can we say then about um, the things of God? You know, because that's what he says you should have your mind on, right? Is the things of God and the death of Christ. The the death that he's predicting is going to happen. How does that relate to the things of God? It's God's so, plan. Yeah, it's God's plan. This is this is what God has planned. This is this is God's purpose. 
that the Christ would come and he would suffer and die and be raised again on the third day. That is the plan of God. Definitely not um, an accident, not the misfortune of people not understanding this great teacher, but it's what Jesus came for. Um, In the next chapter, um, chapter 17, verses 22 through 23, Uh, It says, As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And it says, And they were greatly distressed. Now, why do you think they were distressed when he said that? This is the second time he's mentioned this, right? Yeah, just... I mean, all of Israel... Exactly right. Yeah, they just they just didn't get it. I mean, it's like, in a sense, like we can be puzzled by that and say, "Well, come on, why didn't they get it?" But we have like all of the New Testament revelation, so you know, it's really hard for us to put ourselves in that situation where we don't have the New Testament revelation, where we have what's in the Old Testament, which is there in the Old Testament, but you know, we've we've kind of had it put together for us by the apostles, um, and so you know, I, I'm sure it was very difficult for them, but. And even then, he mentions the resurrection here, but they still, they're not getting it. They're focused on, what, you're going to die? That's um, definitely very distressing. But uh, but Jesus, clearly, that's uh, you know, that's what he's he knows is going to happen. He's planning for it to happen. Um, over in the Gospel of Luke, um, Luke chapter 18, Luke 18, verses 31 through 34. says, And taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked, and shamefully treated, and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day he will rise. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them from them and they did not grasp what was said so again we see Jesus you know, using pretty similar language to the other passages we've looked at um, what do we see here that we haven't seen before <clears throat> anything stand out to you it's hidden from okay yeah it's hidden from yeah so they weren't getting it it was yeah it was hidden from them Anything else? Jesus provides some extra details, doesn't he, that we haven't seen in the others? (coughs) 
one thing that um, is very interesting um, is that there, towards the beginning, he says, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. Um, so here, something we didn't see in the others is a very explicit statement of, like, Jesus is viewing himself as the fulfillment of prophecy. He is, he's understanding that, like, the Old Testament scriptures said that these things would happen. I mean, presumably, like, places like Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22 that we've talked about before, you know, and maybe even just the, the typological stuff, like the Passover. He's thinking of those things, and he's saying, yes, everything that the Old Testament tells us is going to happen to the Christ, these things are going to happen. Um, he's, he's specifically tying his life in to the, the, the accomplishment of Old Testament prophecies. He's also a little bit more explicit in kind of the, uh, the, the sufferings there. Uh, he says, For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and he will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. Um, so it's not just a death. I mean, not that that's a good thing, but, um, but obviously just a humiliating death. But, yeah. the, uh, Go ahead. The part about he will be delivered over to the Gentile, that being an interesting word study, and it's something I haven't really paid much attention to before, but to be delivered over to the Gentiles, is that implying that the Jews are delivering to the Gentiles, which would be totally against Jewish custom and stuff? Um, I think if you think if you tie everything together that he said like in the previous passages I know you guys would have to flip back to um, to Matthew but I've got a front of me here let's see um, so yeah in, in the Matthew 16 passage must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and so clearly they're involved in this and then if you look at the Luke passages, he's saying he's being delivered over to the Gentiles. So if you, if you at least if you put those two together, then it's like, yeah, the Jews are delivering him, delivering him over to the Gentiles. Which is going against their own law. Yeah, yeah. But of course they had to do that right. because they wanted to kill him and the, the Romans wouldn't let them execute somebody. So like, okay, yeah, we're going to have the Romans do this because we want him dead. Can I ask a question? Uh-huh. So the very last verse that you say, it says, uh, they understood none of these things because the saying was hidden from them and they did not grasp what was said. Mm-hmm. Do you think maybe that was, uh, could have been maybe self-deception or was it maybe, you know, something like God, you know, it says God mails certain things to people Um, I'm not sure that it's even an either-or in that case. I mean, I think, I think God was behind it in that, I mean, like it was... It was according to his purposes that the disciples not fully understand um, until after everything was accomplished. Um, they may have, I mean, it's possible they would have acted a little differently if they had really understood what was going on. Um, but um, but I, I don't think that excludes the idea that they themselves are not really being as diligent as they should be at like grasping what the scripture says, at paying attention to what Jesus says, of really believing what Jesus says. I mean, he often rebukes them for their lack of faith and their slowness to understand the scriptures. So, um, I mean, that's a, that's a good question, but I think it may be 
a little bit of a both and where yes it's part of God's purposes that they don't see it but it's also kind of like their own hardness of heart and just failure to understand things that are that's that's um, does, that, does that answer your question? So, I don't know if, if you want to correct any of that, if that's a no, no, mistake. No. But uh, I, th- I think that's that's probably fair as we look at that. So, But that's a good question. Um, and then back in Matthew, Matthew uh, 20 has basically a parallel to this passage. Um, but it has some different details. Um, so Matthew 20... Verses 17 through 28. Um, And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside. And on the way, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to to death, and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. I'll stop there just for a second, just to... Say yes, Bill. <laughs> I haven't thought of that, but yes, more clear, right? Ma- Matthew <laughs> is just explicit here. So uh, apparently, Luke abbreviated it enough that you, you know, you didn't get the explicit reference to the Gentiles delivering him over. But yes, that's clearly what's being said. Um, and then continuing to verse twenty, uh, then the the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons and kneeling before him. She asked him for something, and he said to her, What do you want? She said to him, Say that these two sons of mine are to sit on your right hand and on your left in your kingdom. Jesus answered, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, We are able. He said to them, You will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. And uh, when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercised authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So, the first part of it, um, obviously very similar to the Luke passage, but uh, we did have that uh, additional thing about the Jews delivering them up to the Gentiles. Um, what else do we see here? There's, I mean, there's quite a bit of other discussion he said they're going to drink the cup. Yeah. Okay. That's a question. What is the cup? What What is Jesus talking about? It's like when he says, can you drink the cup that I'm to drink? Yeah. Die and suffer from yeah. his cause. Yeah. Yeah. And, they, and it says, right, they don't understand what they're asking, right? You know, it's like, yeah. you, you really want to, you really want to, I mean, I don't, I don't know, but I've heard people suggest that the the right hand and the left um, that like Jesus is thinking in terms of like the two thieves that are crucified on either side of him I'm not sure if that's what he's going up but it's like if you know if that is what he's referring to um, and the you know you know James and John are like hey yeah we want to be on your right hand and on your left he's like you really know what you're asking um, 
But, I mean, clearly he has the idea of his suffering death, right? Beca um, in mind, at least to some degree, because he's like, are you able to drink the cup that I will drink? And as Nancy pointed out, he said, you will drink it. What does that mean? Kind of a foreshadowing of uh, when he says, or when Paul says that all those who live faithfully in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I guess, um, I guess not, not necessarily. Uh, uh, both of the sons of Zebedee met a, um, a horrible end, but um, I think one of them, I think one of them was crucified, if I remember my church history correctly. Um, I mean, I guess. Um, John presumably was not, but um, but yeah, but I mean, but but obviously all of the disciples suffered greatly, were persecuted greatly. Um, so, so what was the what was the misunderstanding of the sons of Zebedee here? Why were they asking for this? He's about ready to go up to Jerusalem. What's that? He's about ready to go up to Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. And that's the, or the throne of David is. Right. I'm thinking, okay, we're going to sit his right hand left there in Jerusalem. Yeah. So they still got this this false view in their mind, right? That it's it's just straight to glory. It's not glory through suffering. It's just straight to glory. That's, that's what the Christ is going to bring, right? And so they've still got this false view. Um, and, you know, and Jesus has to tell them, it's basically, no, it's, this is, it's glory through suffering. And, yes, indeed, you know, you're going you're gonna to go through the suffering too um, on your way to glory. Any other thoughts about that passage? That, that is just interesting in the light of the fact that he's so clear to explain what's going to happen to him. Mm -hmm. And you're like, are you not hearing yeah. what I'm saying? Which they, they weren't. We right. saw that in other passages. Right. They didn't yeah. yeah. It, I mean, it seems like they just had it so fixed in their minds yeah. that, like, this is what's supposed to happen. Yeah. And they just, it's like, oh, we're not really getting this, yeah. you know? So, Yeah. So those are some, some pretty obvious passages um, where Jesus talks about his his death. I mean, it's like where he's really explicit with his disciples. Um, there are other less obvious um, and less clear references that came from Jesus' lips. Um, so I'm going to look at a few of those just to, just to kind of add to um, the picture of, of Jesus understanding um, his future. So in Mark chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 18 through 20 here. Mark chapter 2, 18 through 20. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And the people came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. So that's kind of like an enigmatic statement if you just like take it on its own, uh, isn't it? I mean, how would you how would you uh, understand that? 
Any thoughts? The bridegroom is here, but mm-hmm. yeah, it isn't the ending next statement. He's obviously saying he's going to go away, but mm-hmm. he doesn't say how. Right. Yeah, he's not. He's not real explicit, but. Um, but yeah, it's basically it's like, hey, the bridegroom's here. They ought to be rejoicing. I'm here with them, and they should be rejoicing and eating and drinking. Um, but a time is going to come when they will be sorrowful because I am gone. Um, so clearly, Jesus wasn't just planning to like march up to you know Jerusalem and sit on the throne and it's like, okay, kingdom's established. He's He's, he's hinting here there's going to be a time come when he's going to disappear and um, and his disciples um, well and are also gonna, in the Old Testament there sort of talks about like an everlasting rule mm-hmm. you know and and so uh, you know at a minimum they would have expected that he would have ruled I mean forever you know mm-hmm. it wouldn't have been right. a sense in which it would have just been for a little amount of time so. right yeah yeah, they're, and they're expecting to just go straight to that. Yes. Um, without this this period of of sadness, because he is um, he is no longer with them. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. but definitely definitely a more subtle statement. But clearly, you see, Jesus has this in mind that is contrary to what people are expecting. Um, another one, um, Matthew chapter twelve. Verses 38 through 40. Matthew 12, 38 through 40. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except for except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now when you think about the fact that like, we haven't had like, any clear uh, statements about you know, the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ, you know, and, and, you know, unless they're just like a student picking up things from the Old Testament, but it's like, if you just think it's like, this hasn't been clearly explained. I mean, we look at it and we're like, oh yeah, I see that, that makes sense. But you think about it in the context of when he said it, and how little information people had about the death and resurrection of Christ. What would that have sounded like to them? It's pretty enigmatic, right? Like, what in the world? <laughs> but in light of what we do know, what's Jesus saying? Yeah. Yeah. He's just laying out like even the time frame. Like I'm gonna be dead for three days and then rise again. Um, and again, and you could, in a sense, you could then look at look at Jonah and see it's a it's a type. You know, we talked about types and prophecies, and that's Jonah is a type of Christ in that sense, and um, that he gave a picture. Um, and that's clearly the way Jesus saw it. Jesus saw Jonah as a type of his own of his own death. And so he he brings it up, even though at the time uh, people would not have really understood it. But uh, but obviously Matthew remembered it and 
wrote it down because he afterwards had seen the, the relevance of it. Any other thoughts on that? Well, let's look at uh, the Gospel of John now. John chapter 2. John chapter 2, verses 18 through 22. So the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When, therefore, he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. So what do we see here? <coughs> what, what stands out to you here? He, he's calling himself, himself the temple. Mm-hmm. Um, which that uh, that's it's kind of showing that okay the old ways of worship are going to be ending the old mm-hmm. basically the covenant's being fulfilled mm-hmm. in my death right um, but there there's still a complete block in the Pharisees and the disciples' mm-hmm. minds of mm-hmm. when he's referring to the temple they're thinking the physical building mm-hmm. yeah and and at least. As far as we can tell, Jesus didn't help him out either. No. He just he just says, you know, destroy this temple in three days, I'll raise it up. You know, and doesn't doesn't give them any clue, you know, and they're like, it doesn't make any sense. Um, and you know, and one thing that I find really interesting is the way it talks about the disciples' reaction to this. Because it seems like the disciples were probably in the same boat. They're thinking, What what's he talking about? You know, but it just like stuck in their minds. And then after it happened, they're like, oh, that's what it was. Um, And so, yeah, they remembered it, and they believed it, and they understood that Jesus was, again, he was predicting his own death and the the three days, yes. It's not entirely relevant to this discussion, but later that is probably part of the charges against Jesus. They still Mm -hmm. destroy the temple. Mm -hmm. And... uh, that's actually at the point when they are going to destroy the temple. Mm-hmm, yeah, it's it's a beautiful yeah. irony. That that is that is interesting because yeah, but yeah, it's people remember that he said it and they brought it up again. But yeah, it's like it is his words. Like that's the charge against him. You know, it's like oh well, he said he was going to destroy the temple. Which you know, he didn't say he was going to destroy the right. temple. Right. Uh huh. Right. And, but then yeah, but then they proceed to answer that by destroying the temple. You know. So. But see, I think. Yeah. I'm so thankful for comments like verse 21 mm-hmm. that, that explains to us because you know we sort of take for granted oh, yeah. that we have an inside uh-huh. you know scoop. But you take the proverbs, for example, uh-huh. that don't always explain right. what they mean, and we're like, okay, no wait, what exactly are they saying here? Right. Which would probably help us to understand a little bit better what the disciples or what the religious leaders were going through when they heard yeah. a statement like this. Yeah, it is. It is. It is wonderful that. that there are these explanatory notes in, in scripture. Is like, I mean, th- again, this is like side topic, but like you, you know, you look at Jesus's parables, 
and I just love the fact that he explained so many of them yeah. you know because it's like I would have been just like the disciples it's like can you explain that one to me I don't get because the parables are the parables are kind of rough yeah. but um, but yeah this but we yeah do have, we do have trouble with I mean just the book of Revelation mm-hmm. and the, the myriads of theories and discussions mm-hmm. on how what it actually means mm-hmm. and uh, it's kind of like Phil was saying earlier with uh, I'm not sure we're any different from the church then uh, I mean they had the book of Isaiah mm-hmm. but they didn't see it as it was happening mm-hmm. and right. it's right. We're, we're not any different right yeah that is, that is true yeah and again it's like for all of this that was accomplished in the first century we have the whole New Testament to explain what was going on you know that the the disciples just didn't have, and so yeah, I I think you know it, it probably is largely the the same case for the Book of Revelation. It's like we don't we don't have the you know the apostolic interpretation of the Book of Revelation. It's like uh, we're just not sure. So um, yeah, so we we definitely need to be very generous to the to the poor disciples as they're as they're trying to figure things out without all the without all the help that we have. Any other thoughts there? Okay. Well, very next chapter, John chapter 3, um, verses 14 through 16. Um, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the, serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now, obviously, uh, verse 16 is very well known. Um, but what's going on there in verses 14 and 15? It's uh, referring to the, the plague of the snake. Mm-hmm. Serpents were sent and uh, they lifted one up on a, some sort of stake or something like that. Mm-hmm. They would look to that and they were bent and they would be saved. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what's the significance of it's that? It's a type. Yeah, it's a type. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, when when the the plague of the snakes was you know, was biting people and they were dying, they they built this bronze snake and people would look to it and they would not die. And yeah, and Jesus abused that as a type that he himself um is raised up and those who look to him will not perish so um. and, and with that too it's also a picture of the fact that he's taking his sin upon himself mm-hmm. too, yeah. because that it was a symbol of their sin right yeah God. yeah that's it I mean I, I don't know how much again it's like this is like really early on of like how much did the people who were listening to this actually get what was what was being said um, probably not a lot of it but yeah that's clearly a, a part of it is that he is I mean the the substitutionary nature of the atonement is seen in that um, and there's also he's not real explicit about what he means here but he he says that um, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. It's like, well, lift it up. That's kind of a, it's kind of a vague phrase, right? What does that mean? What did, what did Christ mean by that? 
lifted on the cross. Yeah, on the cross. Yeah, I mean, you can definitely see that as like, oh, well, he's exalted. So that's you know, that's the that's the idea. But uh, I think that the idea that that he's got in his mind as he says that is he's going to be lifted up on the cross. He's going to be crucified. So again, he's just Jesus knows this is happening. He's he understands this is his purpose. And you know, and he's just walking forward with the purposes of God, and so he's dropping, you know, these these various, you know, somewhat cryptic, um, less than clear statements uh, throughout his ministry. Uh, but then, of course, we saw the the more explicit statements that came uh, towards the end of his ministry. Um, one passage that um, talks a lot about this, also in the Gospel of John. Uh, I know we've talked about this uh, in at least one previous lesson, but it's a, it's a really good passage talking about this. This is John chapter 12, uh, verses 20 through 33. So kind of an extended passage here. So starting in verse 20, uh, Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. Uh, so these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus, and Jesus answered them. Kind of a strange answer here, but he says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for life, for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, uh, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, An angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, This voice has come uh, for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So lots of stuff going on there. Um, what? I'm just gonna like throw it out there. What do you guys see in this passage? Things we've talked about already this morning. Things we haven't talked about. What? What stands out to you? Obviously relevant to the topic, but you know. <laughs> the necessity of the, uh, of the cross. Okay. Because, you know, verse 27, you know, he kind of talks about it, uh, kind of foreshadows it in, you know, all throughout, you know, verse 20 and then verse 27 onwards to say, hey, I'm going to die. And this is how the Father is going to be glorified. That's how we're going to be glorified. Mm-hmm. And, like, he's like, right? The Father literally mm-hmm. speaks from heaven and says, yep. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it, I mean, in verse 27, I mean, you, you mentioned, you know, it's like where he says, you know, now now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. 
but for this purpose I have come to this hour. And it's like he's he's understanding obviously just the great suffering um, that he's going to go through um, and there would be a temptation to like I don't want to go through this and you know we see that as he as he prays in the garden but um, but he's he understands like this this is the purpose for which I came this is why I'm here so I'm I'm going through with this what else there's lots in here the allegory with the seed of grain Absolutely. of the grain has to die before it can produce. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. If it doesn't die, it's not going to do anything, right? Yeah. But it has to die, and then it's going to produce much fruit. Um, and so he's, he's seeing this, as not, and it's not just like, well, I'm just going to die. You know, they're going to kill me. It's, this is, this is, there's a purpose here. I'm accomplishing something by my death. Anything else? Sort of redefines what it means to be glorified. Mm-hmm. You know? Can you expand on that? Well, just, you know, we, we, we think, uh, well, sort of back to like Mark 10, and, you know, to be glorified means the Lord over, to be put in a position mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. a great exaltation. But, you know, so what Jesus says is for me to be lifted up, they may have thought to be enthroned, to rule mm-hmm. over mm-hmm. everything, and and yet, you know, it's sort of interesting that he's saying, yes, I am being exalted, but that is by being humbled by suffering, mm-hmm. you know. And yeah. so, very, very different way mm-hmm. of uh, what we typically think of that. So. Yeah, yeah and, and John is, is, is explicit in his commentary on this in verse 23, where he, he said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Yeah. And so, um, clearly, John is saying... Jesus was talking about being lifted up from the earth in terms of being crucified. And yeah, and that was that was the way to glory. Yeah. Was not not through um, what man would consider glorious, but through the shameful death of the cross. It's amazing how much in this passage sort of goes back to all the teaching you've done, mm-hmm. you know, on this whether it's mm-hmm. um, substitution, whether it's mm-hmm. he actually accomplished like we talked about last week, you know. Mm-hmm. Very much so. Very much so. Okay, we're running out of time. I got a couple more passages I want to look at here. So, um, Luke chapter 22. Verses 19 through 23. Luke 22, 19 through 23. And here um, we have um, the Last Supper. Um Starting in verse 19, and he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, uh, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup is poured out for you. This, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes, as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another which of them it could be who was going to do this. So what do we see in this passage? Mm 
and obviously here it's just about to happen, right? It's hours away. Any thoughts? Well, by his death, Jesus uh, offers a sacrifice mm-hmm. that ratifies the, the new covenant mm-hmm. yeah. that we see here. Yeah. Definitely uh, an accomplishing of God's purposes through time um, in you know, as, as the progression of redemptive history going into the new covenant. Another thing that I find particularly interesting is verse 22. It says, For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. Um, again, just a very clear statement of, like, this is God's purpose. This is what has been decided from all eternity. Um, this is determined. Um, and obviously, it does not absolve Judas, who would betray him, of his responsibility for that evil act. Um, but behind it all is the sovereign plan of God um, which was as we talked about from the very first lesson the necessary thing for God to do if he is going to save sinful humanity um, so yeah it was it was determined look at one more passage here um, this is back in the gospel of John John chapter 10 verses 11 through 18 pretty well known passage it's the, it's the Good Shepherd passage. John chapter 10, verses 11 through 18. Jesus says, I am the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, uh, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Uh, Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Uh, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. So as we're finishing up, what are what are some things that we see here in this passage that are relevant to our topic of Jesus' own view of his mission on earth? Well, just for the Jews. What's that? It's not just for the Jews. It is not just for the Jews. That's that's a subtle statement in here, but yeah, he's like, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. Um, so he's referring to the Gentiles there. And he's laying down his life. He's laying down his life. Yeah. He's very clearly, again, this is just another statement of him predicting um, or declaring, you might say, um, his own death, right? What else? He is the only shepherd. He's the only one who can do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You got the exclusivity of Christ there. Yeah. There's one really important one right there at the end. He also talks about how he's going to take up his life again. Uh huh. Yeah. So the resurrection is right there. Right? Yeah. 
I think he's probably alluding back to Psalms 23, though. Okay. The Good Shepherd. Okay. I think when that, that theme comes up all the time, mm-hmm. and uh, we always think of David, Psalm 23 as mm-hmm. being the Good Shepherd. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That uh, the 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 picture of the shepherd, you know, shows up repeatedly throughout the Old Testament. Um, you know, whether it be God as as the good shepherd or David as the shepherd, or um, sometimes it's it's evil leaders who are you know bad shepherds. So yeah, that definitely pops up. And then Jesus is the good shepherd. That's the ultimate fulfillment. But, but also, I mean, he lays down his life, but he talks here even about the authority to lay down. So it's not mm-hmm. taken away from him mm-hmm. as something that he is in control of. That yeah, he says, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Um, I mean, if Jesus wanted to come to earth and teach and heal and set up his kingdom um, and not get crucified, he wouldn't have had any trouble doing that. It, it wasn't just because, like, well, the world turned against him and he didn't get to accomplish his mission. But he came for this purpose. And he has the authority to do this. Uh, he lays down his own life. Um, and he says right there at the end, this charge I have received from my father. This is, this is what the father had commanded him to do, was to come and lay down his life for his people. And he would be raised again. So it's not the end. Um, obviously, it's, you know, his death had a purpose. Um, and in so many of these statements, Jesus is throwing in these statements about, about his resurrection. So, um, but you know, usually people were just blinded to that because they were looking at just like his death. But yeah, go ahead. Well, just to go along, he, he had his own, own authority when to lay it down. But we see in, I can't remember what passage in the Gospels, but they take up stones and stone them, and he just walked right in the middle uh-huh, of them. Yeah. I mean, it, it could have happened there if it, yeah. you know, if it was just up to man mm-hmm. to pick the time of you know, yeah. his departure, but yeah. Jesus uh, actually controlled. Yeah, and I guess especially um, in the Gospel of John, what you see is like sometimes when people attempt to kill him, um, you know, John says, you know, but he walked out of their midst because his time had not yet come. It was like, I mean, it, it was all just, it had to go according to the predetermined plan of God. Um, it wasn't just, you know, the happenstance of, of, you know, the society around Jesus. But his death was a very purposed, a very planned thing, and it was going to happen at a certain time determined by the Father. And, and, and he just, he has this charge on his Father, but he doesn't know Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he does it willingly for for our sake. Because mm-hmm. going back to John three sixteen, God loves us, and yeah. it's a one thing yeah. that He shows us love. Right, and this is love, not that we love Him. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. Um, another passage I didn't I didn't include it in my notes, and I don't know if I can quote it exactly from memory, but it's from uh, it's from Hebrews um, ten eleven somewhere in there, um, where it talks about. Um, you know that that Jesus, uh, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning the shame. So it's like he was. It's not that he was like looking forward to the the cross itself, but he saw the joy on the other side of it and was willing to go through it. And so yeah, he he very much did it willingly. It was not um, as some people will portray it as you know like you know the 
the unwilling son, you know, being punished by the father or anything like that. But yes, it was he was very willing to do it. Um, there's another another passage in the Gospels where um, he mentions that uh, he has a baptism to undergo and how distressed I am until it is fulfilled. So he was he was very much looking forward to this happening. Um, it was very much his desire, as as horrible and painful as it was. So, very clearly, um, hopefully very clearly, uh, we see then that um, this was Christ's mission. This was Christ's purpose right from the beginning. Um, uh, he was he was in control of it the whole way, and he was accomplishing his will in going to the cross and saving his people. Um, reminder, we do not have Sunday school next week, but we do have Sunday school the week after. So let's uh, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you so much for Christ. We thank you uh, for just this great salvation. It is, it's just so delightful to just look through the scriptures and to see all the different facets of, of how this was accomplished and the just the different relationship uh, factors that that come into play, and um, Lord, I just I just pray that again that these things would just sink deeply into our hearts, that we would just truly have a passion uh, for the truth of Your Word, uh, a great love for You, uh, a great desire to to walk in holiness, that that these things would just be before our minds um, all the week. Though the the world comes in and seeks to distract us with uh, all the all the cares and worries of this life, uh, Lord, that we would uh, have our minds focused on you and on eternal things, and Lord, that we would be diligent to proclaim those things uh, to those who do not know you. Uh, Lord, I pray that you be with us as we uh, continue to worship you. That our hearts would be turned toward you, that our minds and our hearts would be uh, open to the truths of your word, and Lord, just that you would be glorified in your people. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.